You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church, Salt Lake City. For more information on our church, go to c3saltlakecity.com. Come on, give God a hand this morning. Let's go. Oh, can we stand up? Everybody stand up really quickly. Just stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Put your hands in the air. Put your hands in the air and say, Jesus, I thank you for creating me with a purpose. Lord, this morning, I receive your word. Let it change me, equip me, and empower me to do everything that you've called me to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat. Praise God. Praise God. Awesome. Give it up for the band. Come on, band. Let's go. Amazing. Amazing. Well, oh my goodness. It's good to be here. Oh man, we've got, uh, we've got John and Josie all the way from uh, San Diego on business, on business trip, decided to come and check out their C3 Salt Lake City family. Come on, somebody. Oh man, it's good. It's good. Well, uh, it's, uh, it's the last week of our Paranormal Activity series, and uh, we've been talking about paranormal activity <laughs> in October as we, uh, as we approach Halloween, right? Halloween's on Thursday. Boom. Now, I'm not, I'm not one of those, like, like, weird Christians who hates Halloween. Yeah, I am. <laughs> No, I am. I, I try not to be weird about it, but you have to realize I grew up in a home that, like, you know, it was, you know, our, our mom, you know, my mom was like, we don't, we don't do anything for Halloween, no pumpkins, no nothing, no candy, because it's the devil's holiday. So I was like the weird kid at school being like, you worship the devil. Like, <laughs> now, you know, I mean, we carved a pumpkin, and we, we do that. The girls have Rapunzel outfits. Um, but uh, it was funny, we, we carved some pumpkins, uh, and uh, we did a cross, right? And then we did a C3, we did C3 pumpkin, it was pretty cool. Um, and, uh, and, we, um, and, uh, and so we were out there lighting them up, and, uh, and our youngest, Sadie, she goes out there, and she's like, we have to light the way for the witches! I'm like, I cancel the assignment of the enemy in Jesus' name. All of a sudden, I'm like, listen, honey, we don't do that because the ha- Halloween is the devil's holiday. And then, you know, so now she's at school being like, Halloween's the devil's holiday. I'm like, no, just you don't have to say that. Just chill out. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, but uh, we have fun on Halloween. We like it because we'll go out and collect all of the candy for the rest of the year. Right, and we'll just stash it and like kind of divvy it out as the months go past. You know, one little skittle at a time. Um, <laughs> we're those parents, anyways. Um, I uh, the thing that is fun about Halloween though is you get to dress up, right? You get to do a costume. You get to, pre- you know, it's fun dressing up. It's fun putting a costume on because you get to pretend like you're someone that you're not, which is sometimes fun, right? Um, and so uh, one year, just several years ago, I was working uh, at uh, at a um, UtahRealEstate.com. It's an ML. It's the. It's anyways. It's a real estate uh, website. And uh, and I was working there, and we had like a company party, and everyone was dressing up. And so I'm like, oh, what will I dress up as? Uh, and so I decided that I would be tall. (laughs) 
It's not that funny. Anyways, I, um, and so I, I put stilts on, um, and I went, to, I went to work in stilts. I was seven feet tall. How exciting is that? I was huge. But here's the thing is that this guy at the office decided that he was going to be the grim reaper, um, and he also wore stilts, and he was already like six feet tall. So he was a foot taller than me, and I was this, <laughs> so I was tall for Halloween, and I still wasn't the tallest person in the room. I was like, God, what are you doing to me? I'm seven feet tall and still looking up to somebody. This is ridiculous, but um, it's fun. Halloween is, is fun. Um, the title of my message this morning is Costumes. Costumes. And uh, we're going we're gonna to hang out in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Um, and uh, we'll have it up there on, on the screen, or you can follow along in your Bible. Uh, this is what it says. It says, in the morning as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry. And he noticed that a fig tree beside, he noticed a fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there were any figs, but there was only leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the fig tree withered up. The disciples were amazed when they saw this and asked, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can say, uh, you can do things like this and much more. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. You can pray for anything and if you have faith, you will receive it. Come on, let's pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you that your word is true. Lord, I thank you that it's a weapon. Lord, that it can be in our hearts and that we can fight the enemy with your word. Lord, that it never returns void. We thank you for it, Jesus. Lord, as we gather this morning around your word, let it penetrate our heart. Let us leave here different, challenged, changed, and equipped, Lord, to do the work that you've called us to do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. So we're going to unpack this a little bit because it's a little bit strange. Like, Jesus wakes up in the morning, right? He had just come in the day before uh, on the donkey, right? This was, this was what we call uh, Palm Sunday, right? Everyone was all excited. Hosanna, Hosanna. They're laying down palm branches. It's this whole thing. And then he goes in the temple and throws a fit, you know, pulls over, you know, flips over the tables and, and, uh, and all this. And then he, he goes back to Bethany. And then in the morning, he wakes up uh, in the morning, pretty early, and, and he goes to the, he's on his way up, back up to Jerusalem, and he sees this fig tree. And he's hungry, right? And, uh, and, and he goes up to this fig tree, and he's going, and he's looking for fruit. But when he gets close to it, he realizes there's no fruit. Now, in a normal situation, what you would expect someone to do is, you know, they'd go up to the tree, and they'd look for the fruit, and then they go, oh, bummer, there's no fruit. Hey, John, you have a fig Newton from yesterday? Like, I'm hungry, you have some bread, like, you know, I, I was going to get some breakfast here, but it's, there's nothing. So do you have, like, but he doesn't do that. He just, like, curses it. And it's like, like, if I'm honest, I read that, I'm like, that's kind of an overreaction. <laughs> like, that's, that's kind of like, you know, and the disciples are like, what, what's going, why? Like, are you just, do you need a Snickers? Are you a little hangry? Like, you know, hungry, why wait? Like, just, like, you don't need to be so hangry, right? It's kind of like my wife. Yeah, like she, man, if she gets hungry, watch out, right? Like, I'm like, why are you so, here, have an apple, chill out. And then she's like, oh, right? And uh, I mean, truth is, I'm even worse. So, <laughs> watch out if we're both hungry. I'm just saying, 
it can get it can get it can get ugly but Jesus curses this fig tree not because he was mad not because he was disappointed necessarily that he didn't get to have his piece of fruit he didn't do it out of anger or or anything like that he's draw, he, he's making a point Jesus is 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 drawing a parallel between uh, he's trying to point to and explain that the that the house of Israel that the Jews that the Jewish leaders that they have no fruit and he's sick and tired of watching all of the religious snobs puff up with all the religion and have it, you know, look really, really good and have it be dead. He's saying, listen, you look really good. See, this tree wasn't dead. It was alive. It was full of leaves. It looked like it should have fruit. But when he went up to it, he couldn't find any fruit. It had the appearance of life, but what had nothing that was life-giving. I wonder, I wonder what he would say about the church in America today, though. See, I think the church in America today has been so caught up in trying to hang on to the appearance of Christianity that we have lost the understanding that we are to have fruit. And so now we have this, what's normal in the church is leaves. Lots and lots of leaves that provide shade. We're casting shade at everybody, aren't we? Ooh. We got a hungry world looking for real nutrition, and they stumble into the church of America thinking that they might find something that would feed their soul, and all they find is leaves. Not at this church. Not at this church. We walk around, you know, listening to Caleb, the, ten sen- the, te- the same ten songs over and over and over again. <laughs> you know, posting our version verse images. <laughs> Hashtag forgiven, not perfect. <laughs> Someone comes up and say, oh, man, I really need prayer. Oh, okay, I'll pray for you. We never do. And the world's looking at the church going, I see the same thing at my office. It's just leaves. So you want me to come to your thing that just has leaves too? I'm good. I'm going to go hike. I'm going to go ski. I'm going to go do anything else except for pretend to be a part of something that acts acts in a way that it should have fruit, but there's no life, there's no life-giving, there's nothing there. And Jesus, this is where Jesus looks at the tree and he curses it. He says, enough of this. Enough. Enough of this. We need to stop putting on the costume of a Christian and we need to start bearing fruit. We need to stop putting on the act, trying to maintain the image, trying to look the right way and act the right way, and just focus on bearing some fruit. Here's the thing, though. It's fun to say that, right? Oh, amen, pastor. Yeah, bear fruit. Now go home. Good luck with that. (laughs) You know? I looked up, I did some research put in Google, why do trees not produce fruit? Search. 
I came across this article published by Penn State University. Pretty sure they're okay at football. I think they might be. And they're a university. They should know stuff. I don't know. This is what it says. Because I am not a botanist, right? I don't have any fruit trees. And if I did, I think I'd cut it down. Because it just seems like a big mess in my backyard I'm not willing to have. But anyways. This is what the article said. It says, undoubtedly, in the backyard situation, the number one reason for uh, for failure of trees to bear fruit, listen to this, is improper tree vigor. It says, over-vigorous trees expend all of their energy in growing wood and do not produce the flower buds which turn to fruit. So he's explaining that the issue most often with fruit trees that don't have fruit is they're expending all of their energy growing wood. Oh, my goodness. Man, church, have you ever met a Christian that's all bark and no fruit? <laughs> you're like, oh, you're a Christian? Ow, that didn't, wow. That just was hard. Quit barking at me. <laughs> You're going to hell! Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll bark. You know what it comes from? Over vigor. Trying too hard. Christians are trying too hard. Wasn't it Jesus that said something like, uh, hey, take my yoke upon you because my, my yoke is... Light, my burden is easy. I think I got that backwards. You know what I'm saying? He says, he says, hey, this is supposed to be easy. We're over here vigorously growing. <sighs> All stressed out, trying to be, you know, muster up some sort of courage. <sighs> trying to trying to grow. Trying to produce fruit. <sighs> working hard. You know, we read about miracles in the Bible. We, we hear someone talk about their God story of how God intervened and changed to something and in their circumstance, how, how they were healed and, or some sort of breakthrough. And we're like, I want that. I just need to try a little bit harder. It's not it. It's not how it's supposed to function. We read things like the end of this verse where he says, hey, if you have faith... You're like, okay, that's all I got to do is just got to get some more faith. How am I going to get some faith? Let's go. I'm going to get a little bit more faith. Here we go. Come on, faith. And God's like, oh, God, what are you doing? It's not about you. It's not about your faith. It's not about what you can muster up on your own. Hmm. Improper, improper vigor, worrying about how big we might be, <sighs> always checking at the person next to us, I don't know, they seem to be growing a little bit faster than me, <sighs> double down on my Bible study, 
I got to go find a church that's going to do an in-depth study of Galatians, verse by verse, word by word, in the Greek. I got to get down in it. I got to figure out exactly what this means. And once I do, then just maybe I'll be able to walk the supernatural life that God calls me to. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Listen, study the Bible, please. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying that you don't have to work so hard. There should be a rest and a grace and an ease about this thing. Look at Jesus' ministry. Jesus is over here raising the dead, making the lame walk, making blind people see, casting a legion of demons out of this poor guy, and he just says, get out. He just says, get up. He just says, open your eyes. He's not over here stressing out some sort of miracle, sweating, trying to make something happen, producing some sort of faith. He's not over there, you know, waking up early in the morning, working out, being like, all right, I'll be pumped up. I'm ready to go. I'm going to go pray somebody down. Like, no. That's not his. What he does do is he wakes up early and he rests in the presence of his father. He connects with his Father in heaven. He positions himself underneath. Listen to this. God with skin on positions himself underneath the authority of his Father in heaven. He says, I don't do anything except for what the Father tells me to do. He's completely submitted himself going, I'm not going to walk, I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to say anything that he doesn't tell me to do. Everything that I do, I'm in complete submission to my Father. And each morning, I'm going to get away by myself and I'm going to sit and I'm going to wait and I'm going to listen. But we're over here going, all right, I can do this thing. I haven't read my Bible in three weeks, but I can do this thing. I haven't really spent that much time in prayer lately, but I know that I can do it. I remember the verse that I memorized when I was a little kid. I'm going to draw on that, and hopefully that's going to get me through. And then we wonder why this Christianity thing is so difficult. Vigorous. Trying, working, attempting, stressing. You gotta chill out. Now, listen, you need to understand. Uh, I get it. <laughs> Just look at me. I'm like a freaking stress ball up here. <laughs> I get it. Most of my ministry life was like this. I wish that I could tell you that ever since I just surrendered my life to Jesus and I've just been operating in this flow of grace and just walking around on this cloud of sunshine being like, oh, blessed. You know, no. If I'm honest with you, I spent way too much time and energy trying to work for God rather than trying to work with him. Trying to find something inside of myself that would allow me to live out the life that God called me to live, and it's impossible. 
He designed it so that I would have to use him, so that I would need him, so that I couldn't do this thing without him. That's how he designed it. So I'm up here stressing out, trying to build a church, trying to build a youth ministry, trying to be creative and, you know, all these things. And guess where it, end, guess where it ended up? Balled up on my bed, having a, pra- like, I was going to say practical nervous breakdown, but I'm pretty sure it was a full-on nervous breakdown, crying, just losing my mind. Becca's going, oh, my, what is gone? What, my husband is... Uh, do I call somebody? What do I do? Because I'm losing my mind. Why? Because I carried the weight of ministry and acted as if it was my work that was going to do something, not his. And if you're honest with yourself, and I'll be honest with you, it is a daily battle to submit myself under my Father in heaven and go, no, this is not my thing. This is yours. When it comes to leading a church, when it comes to leading my wife, when it comes to being a father, when it comes to being a person of faith, every single day I have to submit myself, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? Where are you going? So that I can work alongside of him, so that he can go before me, so that heaven can be behind me. The key is in our covering. Jesus curses this fig tree because it's covering itself. It's, it's, it's not producing fruit because it's wasted all of its energy producing leaves. And I feel like that's the state of the American church. We've wasted all of our energy producing f- leaves and we're lacking fruit. And the world doesn't need a leaf. It needs fruit. Hmm. It's interesting. The only moment that we see Jesus under any sort of pressure is in the garden. He's in the garden, and he's no. And, and, and is it because he's you know stressing out about the fact that he's going to get completely tortured, that the flesh is going to get ripped off of his body, and that he's going to get pinned onto a cross? Is that is that why? I mean, I'm sure that was stressful, but I think that it was much more than that. I think it's because he understood that for the very first time in all eternity, he would be removed from the covering of his father. And he would then be fully exposed and all of the weight would be on him and him alone. And he knew that that would crush him. And so he sweats in the garden, totally in agony of what he's about to walk into. And yet, (laughs) he hung on that cross so that we didn't have to. He took the curse. He took the shame. He took the guilt so that we didn't have to. He carried it all so that we didn't have to. And yet, how many times do we then take it all back? We take the burden back. We carry it again and again and again. And then we we say things like, oh, I need so-and-so to pray for me. Now, listen. I'm all about having people pray for you, but you got to realize there's nothing special about so-and-so. God is no respecter of persons. His principles are true no matter who you are, where you came from. It's not about where, what, what, what you can muster up inside. It's not about how good you work or how much you do. It's about who you're under. 
when you are under God, when you are under the Almighty, when He is your covering, now you have complete and total authority. Hmm. Jesus settled the score. When He was on the cross, He was redeeming that which was lost. You see, you go back into the garden, Adam and Eve, everything is perfect. Everything is wonderful, right? They're naked. That's awesome. They're running around. They're frolicking. Don't get too much images in your mind. Calm down. They're loving life, right? They're just eating all of the fruit and the vegetables of the garden, right? God's like, oh, check this out. See this cow? Okay, what you're going to want to do, get these beans over here, mix it up. It's going to get coffee. That's going to be great. And then you're going to get this milk. You're going to get some cream from this milk. You're going to put that together. Then check out this pumpkin. I'm just saying, we're about to make a pumpkin spice latte up in here in the Garden of Eden. And they're like, their minds are blown. It's perfect. It's organic. It's wonderful. Everything is so cool, right? And then what happens? You have to realize they, at this point, are under a covering of their Father in heaven. They're walking with Him. They're talking with Him. They're communing with Him. Everything is perfect. Jesus steps on the scene, and He says, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, I'm going to bring heaven back down to earth because as Adam and Eve took of the fruit and fractured what God intended, that community, that, that perfect relationship, that covering, because exactly, think about it. What happened right after they sinned? What's the next thing that happened? Adam goes to a fig tree looking for leaves to cover himself. And then Adam and Eve hide in the trees amongst the leaves to hide from God. And it's not until you and I understand that our covering is in Christ Jesus and nothing else that we can muster up on our own, that that's when we get to step into this relationship with our Father in heaven and have a true covering of grace and that's when this thing starts to take off. Hmm. I got caught in the mouth. It's not because of that. Like, I don't do that anymore. Somebody. God comes in the garden. He's like, hey, where are you? What are you doing? Oh afraid. We're ashamed. We realize we're naked. Who told you you're naked? He goes, all right. So he sacrifices an animal. He goes, those leaves aren't going to cut it. <laughs> There's no forgiveness without the shed of blood. Those leaves aren't going to cover you, Adam. Sorry, bro. I'm going to have to kill. So the very first time, death enters the garden. He kills the animals and makes coverings for Adam and Eve. And from then on, humanity has been under this curse. We're no longer under the covering of our Father in heaven. And now our nature tries to cover up we try to cover up our shame, try to cover up our guilt. And so then we're in a position now where we begin to try to pray. And we're like, oh, I don't know if I can pray for that because I'm not good enough. 
when Pastor Jurgen is in town, I'll see if he can pray for me because he's obviously a man of God. And Pastor Jurgen would tell you, I'm happy to pray for you, but um, there's nothing special about me. You and I far too often discount what Jesus did on the cross. Because when he died on the cross, he was saying, I'm going to be your covering again. I'm going to be your covering again. And, and, and he was reestablishing that new covenant, that new covering. And it's in this context that he talks in verse 21. It's in this context when he says, oh, you think that was cool? That I just cursed that tree and it withered? You thought that was cool? Check it. Yeah, he said that. He said, check it. <laughs> if you have faith and you don't doubt, you could move that mountain. And everybody said, oh, well, pastor, he's talking figuratively. Obviously, he wasn't talking about real mountains. <laughs> that would be obscene. <laughs> really? See, I dare to believe that he was being speaking both literal and figuratively. I dare to believe that my God is so powerful that if he wanted to move a mountain, he could use me to do it. I dare to believe that if his word says it, I'm going to take him at it. What is he saying? It's impossible to move the mountain, right? But if you have faith and you don't doubt, you can move it. But the context is if you're under the covering of the Almighty God. See, when I'm under the covering of somebody, I'm sent by them. Right? I'm sent by them. How, how great is it when you're the messenger? You go up to somebody and you're like, hey, you know, the boss said blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, I guess if the boss said it. You don't have to, it's like, it's not me, it's, it's this guy. You know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not me, it's, it's this guy, it's the, it's the guy that sent me. This is what Jesus did. He walks on the earth and goes, listen, it's not, I'm not even worried about what I say. I'm only saying what he says, he sent me. And it was under that authority that he raised the dead. And then he says, if you have faith and you don't doubt, you can, t you can speak to that mountain and it will move. My goodness. Mm. It's all about being covered by the grace of God. It's all about submitting our lives to Jesus. And then we then can live out this supernatural life that he's called us to. He says, if you have faith. Hebrews says that, if, that faith shows the reality of what we hope for and is the evidence of things we can't see. How many of you can see, physically, my Father in heaven and I'm under him? Nobody. Nobody. It takes faith. I can see my dad, and it doesn't take rocket science to know that he's my dad. <laughs> if you've seen my dad, you know. If you've seen my dad, you know. And this is what Jesus says. He says, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen a father. If you've seen me, you've seen 
Father, I, you, and I need to simply have faith that when he says, hey, I forgive you, you're actually forgiven. When he says, hey, I am in you, that he's actually in you. Paul's like so frustrated, right? In Corinthians, when he's like, don't you know that you are the temple of the living God? That the Spirit of God lives in you? Don't you know? Why are you acting like you don't know? Because we don't have faith that it's actually true. That the God of the universe chose to live inside of you. That, you, that, that his blood actually sanctified you, made you righteous enough that he could actually dwell in you. Jesus is trying to say, listen, if you would just believe what I say, if you would just have faith. Kelsey and the team, you guys can come up. i got to close. If you would just believe that I created you on purpose, for a purpose, if, I just, if you would just believe that you're actually set free. God, you want to be set free from this addiction? Why can't I get set free from this addiction? And God's like, God, who the sun sets free is free indeed. I don't know why you're still pretending like you're still enslaved. If you would just believe. Oh, if I could just find my purpose in this life. He's like, um, sorry, I told you, I have, you have a purpose. Go and make disciples. I don't know what else you want. I don't know why this is so hard and so difficult. He's like, oh, no, my yoke's easy, my burden's light. I don't know. I don't, just don't feel like I fit in anywhere. Oh, man, you're a son, daughter of the Most High King. You're adopted in the family. It's just a matter of believing the position that you're in so that you get to shed the costume that Adam told you you had to wear so that you could rest in his presence and then let the supernatural power from heaven flow in you and then through you so that you and I would just be a conduit. Mm. I wonder what it would look like, church. I wonder if it would look what it would look like if every single one of us would quit with the Christian costume, we'd understand our identity in Christ, we'd be confident and bold in who he says that we are, and then we would allow him to cover us. And then we began to boldly declare his word in our life. I wonder if we would maybe be able to move mountains. I wonder if the city that we live in that is known by depression and suicide and plastic surgery I wonder if instead it might be known as hope and faith and love and goodness that we might point to our Father in heaven, that people would look at Salt Lake City, Utah, and go, oh my goodness, I see Jesus because we have aligned ourselves under the Father of heaven and allowed him to flow through us. But in order for that to happen, we must shed the costume and rest in his presence let him cover us with his grace. Ezekiel 47 paints this amazing picture that I think is exactly what it would look like. If you want to know the vision for Salt Lake City, this is it. You can read it. I'm going to paraphrase, but I'd encourage you to read Ezekiel 47. It's a picture of the temple. 
where fresh, fresh streams of living water are flowing from the temple. That they're flowing down through the valley and into the Dead Sea. So much so that the Dead Sea is now fresh. That what once was dead and had no life in it, now there's, it's, it's, it's just full of fish, full of life, full. Every living thing. How many of you know that the gospel turns dead things and makes them alive? I mean, you know that, know that the gospel changes. If you've encountered the gospel and you're not changed, you haven't accepted it. It has to change you. It says that the stream that flows to the Dead Sea, that along its banks, listen to this, grow massive fruit trees bearing all sorts of fruit. As the trees draw their nutrients from the living water, and then the, by, the byproduct is these fruit, this fruit that produces a new crop every single month, and the fruit feeds the nation, and the leaves heal the people. This is the gospel. This is the vision for Salt Lake City. This is what it looks like when a church understands its covering and says we're under the almighty king of kings and we will do nothing but what he tells us to do. We will rest in his presence and we will allow his life filling water to flow through us and throw out into the people around us and that through that we will produce fruit that will heal a state, that will heal a nation, that will heal the world. This is what God is saying. He's saying no more leaves. It's time for fruit. It's time for my people to quit covering it up. It's time for my people to stand up in the authority that I've given them to believe what I have said, to say, I believe that that mountain will change, not because of my faith, but because of what God's power is doing in and through me, that I just have faith that he's right. I just believe that it's true. You know what I love? I love that he calls himself our father. For me personally, it's because I can truly relate. Because I've got two little girls. Four and six. And guess what? They trust their dad. They believe what their dad says to them. They believe. They trust. Do you know why? Because I spend time with them, because they spend time with me. How do we bear fruit? We spend time with our Father. We rest in His presence. We read His love letter to us. We get to know Him. We walk with Him. We don't read His Word stressed out, trying to check the box. We don't spend time in prayer because our pastor told us to. But we rest in his presence and we get to know our dad. And through that relationship, we then trust him 
and we love him, and we, get, we begin to align with him, and we hear him, and then we begin to act on his word, and then all of a sudden the mountains that have been in our way are moved. And all of a sudden we see a massive revival in our state, in our church, but it's, there's an ease because heaven is behind it. He's raising an army. He's raising an army. But the beautiful thing is, is that the battle's won. All he needs us to do is stand up. He doesn't need you to be strong. If you focus on being strong, then you'll have no fruit. And if you have no fruit, you're useless. But if you will just stand up and allow the Holy Spirit to move in and through you, and when he speaks, you act, what you'll find is that heaven is behind you. And all of a sudden, someone that's sick, you'll be able to pray for them, and you'll see a healing take place, not because of anything you said or did, but because God's Spirit is moving in you. All of a sudden, you'll be able to see someone, and you'll be able to give them a word of encouragement, of life over them, not because, not because you're so smart or because you have some supernatural ability, but because God is working in and through you. Why? Because you're perfect? No, because you spend time with your dad. It's easy. It's rest. It's a flow. It's grace. Look at Jesus. He modeled it beautifully for us. We're over here praying. God, I pray right now. You would just do something. Come on. It's weird, isn't it? What if we modeled Jesus and we said, be healed? It doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't, listen, it shouldn't be weird. It shouldn't be weird. The Holy Spirit's not weird. Paranormal activity. It's different. It's not normal, and it shouldn't be, but it shouldn't be weird. It should be attractive. People should look at it and go, oh, that's where it is. And all of a sudden, you'll see mobs and mobs and mobs of people flooding to the house of God because they see the fruit on our lives. Patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit church. This is the fruit of our life. This is what it's supposed to look like. At this church, we bear fruit. And we don't even have to try. We just rest in his presence and we watch it. Bloop, 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 bloop. And it's full and it's rich, and it's life-giving, and it's life-changing. And our friends and our family are going, hey, I need some of that. And you're like, I got plenty. My God's a God of abundance. I'm running over. I'm flooding with his grace. I'm flooding with his goodness. I'm flooding. I'm, I'm pressed down, shaken. I, I can't contain it because my God is a good God. And he loves me. And I want to share it with you. We get this picture that we got to go out in the world and we got to, you know, oh, we're going to tell everybody. No. Let your light shine before men. Imagine going to a dark room, someone getting a flashlight and going, see, <laughs> shining it in your eye. That's no. What you do is you just turn the light on and go, and all of a sudden everyone in the room is around you. Oh, he's got the light. Thank God. 
Now I know where to go. That's what it looks like. That's the picture. That's what our valley needs, and that's what God has called us to be. I need to close. So here's the thing. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You need nothing. Everything that you are able to do on your own is nothing more than bark and, and, and leaves, and it's not going to get you anywhere. You have to be grafted in, into the family, into the kingdom of God. And if you're here this morning and you don't have that, you need it. You need it. Because you might tell me, you might say, I don't know, I've, I'm doing all right. I've got the, I've got the car, I've got the job, I, I, got, I got some stuff. I, I feel like I'm doing all right. But you need to realize that if you don't have Christ, all you have is leaves. You will starve. You will starve. So if you're here this morning and you need, you're like, oh, if that's for real, I need it. And I'll tell you, it's for real. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. He made it real easy. He didn't say, here's the, here's the plan of salvation, step one, two, and three, and four. And as long as you don't get too hung up along the way, you're going to be all right. No, because what does that do? Puts it back on us. It's not on us. It's on him. He says, all you got to do is believe, and I'll bring you in, and I'll bring you under, and I'll give you new life. I'll give you a new heart. I'll make you clean. If you need that this morning. Nobody's looking around except for a few. Don't worry, it's fine. We don't want to embarrass you. But I, wanna, I don't want to leave this morning without giving you an opportunity to get right before God. So this morning, if you need to make that decision for the first time, all across this room, if there's even one person, I just want you to raise your hand nice and high. Is there anybody this morning? I see your hand. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Is there anybody else? I see your hand. I see your hand. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Is there anybody else? I'll just wait another moment. I don't want to leave anybody out in this moment because there's no more important moment than this one. Praise God. We're all going to pray a prayer. And if you put your hand out or put your hand up or if you know that you should have, or maybe... You're here this morning, and you've prayed that prayer before, but if you're honest, you have been fruitless for far too long. Even though you believe that Jesus is Lord, you have found yourself taking the ownership back, taking the burden back, trying to do it on your own. It's easy to do. I've been there. It is tiresome. It's exhausting. And it's not the model that God has for you. So if you're here and that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand as well. Is there anybody? Just me? Okay. Praise God. I see your hand. I see your hand. Come on. Let's pray. Say, Jesus, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for what you've done in my life. You've made me new. 
You gave me a new heart. Forgave me. And I'm sorry. I want to live for you. Thank you for loving me. I accept you as my Savior, my God. Amen. Amen. Can we give God a hand this morning? Come on. Praise God. Praise God. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 Salt Lake City, go to C3SaltLakeCity.com. Thank you.